The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 325. I think that branding actually needs to come from the inside out these days. It needs to start with what are you actually doing for people? And then from there, as a result, how do you want to make them feel? Hello there and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I am your host, Jeff Brown, and I'm here because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that a habit you need to cultivate is intentional and consistent reading. This show is designed to help you do that, to not only narrow this ever-important reading list, but bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. We dig into topics like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship, just to name a few. It's business and marketing getting the focus today, as in a moment, you and I will be joined by Emily Hayward. And she's the author of a brand new book called Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. Among other things, I'll ask Emily to share what it means to develop your brand's emotional story, how to go beyond social media in order to build community, why many brands are seeing success by simplifying their offerings, and lots more. And before we jump in with Emily, a quick programming note. Next week on the podcast, we'll say hello to Chick-fil-A Vice President Mark Miller as we talk about his book, Win Every Day, Proven Practices for Extraordinary Results. And then we'll catch up with Alain Hunkins. I am almost finished and have really enjoyed reading his book, Cracking the Leadership Code. That's some of what you can look forward to in the coming weeks right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Emily Hayward founded Red Antler, the Brooklyn-based brand and marketing company to help entrepreneurs embed brand as a driver of business success from the beginning. In her book, she outlines the new principles of what it takes to build and launch a brand that has people ready to buy right out of the gate. She takes us behind the scenes of the creation of some of today's hottest new brands and explains how companies like Casper, Allbirds, Sweetgreen, Everlane, and more successfully build devoted fan followings right from the start. Well, the name of her book is Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. Her name is Emily Hayward, and I'm excited to have her here. Uh, Emily, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. Well, I thought we would start with some some context uh, for the rest of our conversation, and maybe you give us a bit of your your history, uh, maybe a bit about the time creating uh, ad campaigns, as it were, back in the day, uh, launching uh, your company, uh, Red Antler, and maybe some of what you've been able to accomplish over the last decade, decade and a half. 
Absolutely. So I started my career working in traditional advertising. I was at big global agencies with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people at the New York office working on national TV campaigns for established brands. And through that experience, I met incredible people and I learned a ton about how to think of, about your target audience and what their needs are and how to really tap into a fundamental insight and craft a campaign around that idea. Um, but I started to grow frustrated. I started to feel like we were being asked to solve the wrong problem because mm -hmm. our job was to come up with new things to say, but <laughs> the stuff that we were advertising was often old. Mm -hmm. and changed in a really long time. And I grew to feel that I was too far downstream in the process. So this was around 2006 in New York. And my co-founder JB and I were starting to meet entrepreneurs. The New York startup scene was really just getting going at that time. Mm. We recognized there was an opportunity to take the skills that we had learned in advertising and actually apply them to launching and growing new businesses, the businesses that we wanted to see in the world. So we created Red Antler to really be a partner to founders and entrepreneurs and to focus on brand building pre-launch. And what does it mean to start thinking about your brand before your business is even out there? Um, and that was really our vision. You know, it's now been 13 years. We've obviously grown in that time. We're a little over 100 people. Wow. Um, half of our work is still with pre-launch businesses. So we're just meeting a founding team before they've gone to market and helping them create that entire consumer experience, the entire journey. But then we also do work with later stage startups, you know, businesses that perhaps didn't quite get it entirely right the first time and see a need to evolve. Mm. And we do, do some work with corporate companies, but almost always when they're trying to bring a new brand or a new idea into the world. Well, talk a bit about how you defined brand. I think when, when some companies come to you, they have one definition of it that's not exactly how you see it. You kind of describe that, uh, that difference, if you would. I think a lot of people confuse the expressions with a, of a brand mm. with the brand itself. You know, they think, well, I have a name and I have a logo, <laughs> so I have a brand. And, you know, your name is important. Your logo is absolutely important. But to us, that's not where it begins. You know, a brand is really about determining what is the idea that your business stands for at its core. Like, what's your reason for being? What's the reason people are going to care about this? fundamentally and deeply. And then how do we take that idea and bring it to life through all the ways that you communicate, but not just communicate through how you behave. Mm. So we really think of brand as a lens through which you should be making business decisions. So somebody comes to you, let's say, and they believe that they've got this idea that is super mind-blowingly awesome, let's say, and they look at you and say, do I still need all this? After all, I've got this super mind-blowingly awesome idea. What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was perhaps a point in time, especially in the early days of the Internet, when, you know, an idea itself was enough to get people excited. Mm. I think we're now living in a time where, first of all, no matter how mind-blowingly awesome your idea <laughs> is, chances are there's another team out there at the exact same time <laughs> with the same mind-blowingly awesome idea. And, you know, it's hard to believe, but... We'll sometimes in one month meet three teams who are doing the identical thing. Wow. You see this play out in Hollywood too, right? Like two movies right. that are 
very thematically similar will come out in the same year and you're like, how did that happen? Um, but it's because the same cultural forces that led you to your idea are likely leading someone else to the same or a similar idea. So that's one. And then the second point is that, you know, any new idea is asking consumers to change behavior. You know, the newer the idea is, the more of a change it requires. And I don't think people do that lightly. You know, I think there's a small set of people who we call early adopters who are just into new stuff because it's new. Most people kind of have their routine and they have their way of doing things and they're they're pretty good with it. So to shake things up and ask for people's not only attention, but shift, you know, I think you need to work harder to connect with them. It's not enough to just be new and communicate that you're new. I think you have to go deeper. Mm, uh, connected to that, let's talk about what it means to uh, develop a, a brand's emotional uh, story, as you call it. And, and, and how does a brand's emotional story differ from maybe how brands typically approach this in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of connecting a brand to an emotion is not new, right? That's almost, you could sort of trace the beginnings of branding <laughs> to that idea. I mean, think back to, you know, cigarette ads, right? Mm -hmm. In the 60s, they were all about sort of coolness and masculinity and, you know, whatever else, sexiness. But I think the difference now is that consumers have, you know, more information, more choice and more power than ever before. And they're going to sniff it out if you're trying to connect your brand to an emotional idea that the product doesn't actually support. So I think that branding actually needs to come from the inside out these days. It needs to start with what are you actually doing for people? And then from there, as a result, how do you want to make them feel? I don't think the emotional story can just sit on top. And it's not mm -hmm. about fooling people into thinking that they're going to feel a certain way. I think you actually have to deliver on it. And that gets into, I think, something else you talk about, uh, meeting customers where they are rather than trying to force them into the self-serving story that you want to tell. Absolutely. And a lot of times when I meet new founders and I'll ask them, you know, what's the problem that you're solving for people? 99 times out of 100, they jump to the solution. <laughs> I'm solving the problem of data visibility or I'm solving the problem of, you know, a more convenient way to buy cat food, you know, <laughs> and it's like, great. Those are sound like great ideas for businesses. Um, but that's not a problem. That's your uh, business idea. Um, and I think that it's so important to really think about the people you want to reach and what's missing from their lives. What do they need? You know, what's not being fulfilled and then think through how you're going to answer that need. And we hear uh, the word community thrown around a lot these days. Uh, it's kind of kind of a buzzword for a lot of, of companies, and it's a lot more than garnering comments on, on social media posts. In your mind, what does creating connection or community mean to folks at uh, Red Antler? Definitely a buzzword. Community and authenticity probably mm. get the number one and number two slot of everyone's <laughs> favorite terms when they talk about this stuff. Um, but that doesn't mean that those things aren't important, right? And I think the mistake people make is they think community equals social media engagement. Mm. And, you know, social media engagement is a great reflection of community. I think for some brands to have a very active and engaged Instagram following of people who are commenting and liking and sharing, like, that's great. But that's not going to be relevant for all brands. And it's not the only way that community shows up. And the way that I think about community is really about tapping into a set of shared values mm. and connecting with people 
who share a mindset and who therefore feel, you know, a deeper affinity for the brand. You know, I'll give you an example. The chain of restaurants, Sweet Green, I think has done an unbelievable job building community. And it's not just about like how many Facebook likes they get. You know, I think that it's much more about the fact that they represent an ethos about food and health and sustainability and where ingredients come from and the people who get their lunch there feel that badge of honor, you know, in eating there. And they feel connected not only to the brand, but to the other people who love going to Sweetgreen. Well, what would be some ways, Emily, brands are beginning to see success by uh, simplifying their offerings? I know you get a a lot of great examples of this in the book. Yeah, we've seen this play out um, a lot of, especially in the direct-to-consumer space, you know, companies who are launching first online with, you know, a new offering in a category. And a lot of them take the approach of just offering one or two products to start. Mm. And that really goes against the old way of growing. You know, I think that when, when brands were only selling through traditional retailers, the goal was to take up as much shelf space as possible. And the way you did that was you kept launching new SKUs and they're might not have been so much of a difference between them. I mean, I've heard that with painkillers, the ones that are labeled migraine are like the exact same as the ones that are labeled extra strength, right? (laughs) But it gets more space on the shelf. I think that now brands are actually, that are launching online, are able to tell a much more focused story and don't have to come out of the gate with 20 different versions of basically the same thing, right? Instead, Mm. can start much more focused and therefore tell more of an emotional narrative about what they stand for. They don't need to spend all this time diving into the minutia of product differences. So it gets people engaged and excited. And then over time, the offering can grow, but in a much more thoughtful and deliberate way. There are so many great examples in the book of companies that Emily's team has worked with and helped grow and also companies that they admire. Uh, one that they had the chance to work with and, and one that I would love it if, Emily, you would share a bit about the process was, uh, was Casper and helping bring that brand to the world. Yeah, I mean, I think Casper is such a great example of how brands are changing the rules of their category these days. You know, when Casper founders, when they first came to us, nobody thought it was possible to sell a mattress through e-commerce. You know, consumers had all been trained. You need to spend your Saturday at the mattress showroom under bright fluorescent lights with a pushy salesman hovering over you while like (laughs) in your shoes with tons of strangers walking around, you lie on different mattresses and decide which one is going to be most comfortable for the next 10 years. (laughs) And it was not a pleasant experience. And it also wasn't a helpful experience. And Casper saw this opportunity to do things completely differently. I think back to what we were just discussing at first, First, they launched with just one mattress. You know, since then they've grown their offering, but at first it was just one. And they knew that the difference in getting people sort of over that hump and getting people to believe that they could trust this unknown brand and, and buy a mattress, you know, sight unseen was brand. And, and what we all figured out is that all the mattress brands that existed before Casper were competing in this very functional, pseudoscientific, jargon-filled space. You know, they all had these different terms for their foam with like TMs next to it. And no brand was really tapping into why sleep matters to people, which is that it helps them wake up 
feeling great and leads to not just a better night, but a better day. Mm. So the brand idea for Casper was that better sleep leads to a more interesting life. And that influenced all of our creative choices in the beginning. It was always about showcasing not just people like under the covers at night, but really who (laughs) are these people and what are their quirks and how do we bring them to life in a way that celebrates their sleeping and their waking life. Mm, I love it. Well, when would it be appropriate for, uh, say, the founder or founders of a company to weave themselves into the brand's uh, story? We're seeing more and more of this, I think, every day. You know, I think that we meet a lot of founders who are like, oh, you know, I don't want to make it about me and, you know, I don't really want to be part of this. And I understand that. I think it's better than the alternative of someone who's just in this for ego. But I do think that Consumers today want to know who's behind the products that they're buying. And to have a human face behind the business is just an incredibly valuable tool. You know, it's not necessary, but it's a, it's a big opportunity. I think to have somebody who has a reason for starting this business, who can be out there speaking as a human being and not just as like a faceless corporation <laughs> It's just another way to build connection. And, you know, we've seen lots of founders successfully sort of weave themselves into the brand story. It doesn't mean that their face needs to be plastered all over the homepage or on the box. (laughs) Right. But I think, again, through social channels, through, you know, deeper pages of the website, when you start getting into why this business exists and how it was founded, I think. People love hearing those stories, and it makes the whole thing much more relatable. You know, the one example related to this that I really found intriguing was the the Michelle Pfeiffer example, the fragrance example, and how you don't see her name or her likeness most anywhere, and, and how it was born out of this passion she had to just turn that industry on its head. Such a good point, Jeff, and I'm glad you brought that up, because when we were working with an actual celebrity, we almost had to take the opposite approach. Mm. You know, I think that when we're working with an unknown founder, weaving them into the story is a really powerful way to create that connection. I think with someone who's as famous as Michelle Pfeiffer, the risk is always that people are going to think this is just a licensing deal, right? Or Mm. that she's just sort of lending her famous face to this fragrance business, Henry Rose, and it's quite the opposite. You know, she came to us not as a famous actor, but as an entrepreneur. And she had this idea that she had been working on for decades, which was to launch the first luxury fragrance mm. that has complete transparency over its ingredients. You know, every other fragrance brand hides behind like industry secrets and won't tell you what's in it. And she was like, why should it be that way? People deserve to know what they're spraying on their skin. Mm. So she for years to create these fragrances that had, you know, incredibly safe ingredients that she could be proud to talk about. But yeah, I mean, we we did not want this to look like, you know, Henry Rose by Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, (laughs) sort of traditional fragrance launch that, again, is just about a famous face. Mm. Well, I've got a a couple of questions. I feel like our time's gone by so quick. I got a couple of questions that I want to ask you, not directly related uh, to the book, if I may, Emily. But before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure that we know? I think that I wrote the book to be really actionable and helpful for people who are looking to start a business and just want to know how to start thinking about these things. So very intentionally is not too dense or academic. (laughs) And my hope is that anybody who's interested in branding or starting a business or even just why they love the things they love can pick it up and get it. Have you found that with the release of the book that uh, you're doing more speaking than maybe in the past? Or is that something that you do regularly? 
Yeah, we've we've always done quite a bit of speaking, but definitely around the book launch, um, I've had a lot more opportunities, and it's also just been great to get the word out about the book and you know help sort of talk people through the lessons that are contained within it. Mm. I'd be curious to know if you have uh, maybe a tip or two regarding a public speaking, that being a skill I think every leader needs to to cultivate. What do you try to remember when you want to get an idea across to an audience when it comes to getting up there on stage and, and delivering a message that's uh, memorable and impactful? Well, it's not easy. <laughs> I think that the number one most important principle is preparation. Mm. And even if it's material that you think you are so familiar with, you know, just preparing again and again and again, because I think that the moments when it's scariest is when you have that panicky feeling of not remembering, like, what was I supposed to say (laughs) on this slide? You know, but if you're speaking from the heart, not to be corny, but like, you know, if you're speaking to things that you know through and through that, you know, you can talk naturally about, it'll lead to a presentation that's much more conversational and animated versus feeling like you're reciting a script that you memorize. Great advice. Well, over the course of your career, I'm, I'm going to assume there's maybe a book or two that you have read that has impacted you in a significant way. What might that book or two be and how did it impact you exactly? So I have a little secret to admit, which is that I primarily read fiction. Oh, and okay. I actually find that reading novels has an incredible influence on my work because I think that novels do such an amazing job of building empathy and of putting, you know, you in the shoes of people that have different experiences from you, maybe live in a different country or come from a different background. And so much of building brands is about connecting with a wide range of people who aren't necessarily just like you. So I think the books that have had the most influence in my life are actually fiction. Well, and that's that's a really uh, interesting take too. sort of the uh, put yourself in their shoes. I mean, every that's that's job one for every marketer. Right. And I never thought of fiction books as being a great mechanism for helping you get better at that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, in my leisure time, that is how I spend my time. And obviously, there are so many wonderful books out there about branding. And certainly, you know, I've read quite a few of them. But when I really think about what inspires me and impacts me, Mm. it's the novels that I've read. That's awesome. Well, let me finally ask, as you look ahead and beyond the book and beyond promotion for the book, let's say, what's up ahead in 2020 that you and your team are excited about and, and are able to share about? Well, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, if you haven't heard. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm excited about is actually seeing the new businesses that are coming our way. Mm. You know, we're in a really unique position that, you know, we get to see what's going to be launching eight months before it launches, a year before it launches. So I have a little bit of a sneak peek (laughs) as to what's ahead. And I think what's really exciting about the time we're in is that a lot of entrepreneurs are responding to this moment and thinking through what needs to change in the long term, you know, not just like how do we do quicker food delivery while people can't leave their homes, Mm. but how do we rethink the institutions that we've learned we can't necessarily rely on in tricky times? Mm. You know, we're seeing 
a lot of new businesses in the fin- financial, you know, fin- fintech space thinking through, hey, you know, people are sort of in this moment of economic hardship and maybe their bank hasn't quite been there for them in the way they would have hoped. We're seeing new businesses in the healthcare space that are rethinking, you know, how do we access care? How do we sort of circumvent the bureaucracy of insurance and, and really connect people more closely to the care they need? So I'm excited to see the positive changes that come out of what's obviously been a very difficult time for a large number of people. And I do think that periods of time like this can be moments of great innovation. Well said. Well, the book again is called Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. You should check it out and check her out too. And Red Antler, it's Emily Hayward. Emily, thank you so much for being our guest today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. If you'd like to connect with Emily, Dig deeper into our conversation or follow up on some of those links and resources we chatted about. You can do all of that at the show notes page I've created just for this episode. That's found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 325 for episode 325. While you're there, note the sign-up form on the upper right-hand side of the page. There for free in exchange for your email address, and I promise I won't spam you, you can get my 12 all-time best business and personal growth books. Not just the list of books, but I share some of my thoughts on why they made the list. And you'll also hear from several of my previous guests as to why they appreciate the books that are on the list. Again, that's at readtoleadpodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback for me in the podcast, feel free to write me directly. It's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. I'd also be delighted to talk to you about speaking potentially at your next in-person or online event. Whether it's covering leadership, mindset, habits, productivity, or success and significance, I can help. Again, the email address is jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Don't forget that next time our guest is Chick-fil-A Vice President Mark Miller. We'll talk about his book, Win Every Day. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you for my conversation with Mark. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 